Amen. You got something to say, Pastor? You're here. No, this is your pulpit. <laughs> We're ready to go. <laughs> oh, boy. There's always a jokester, right? I just want to echo what everybody's been saying, the missionaries. What a joy it's been to be with these missionaries and to see their hearts and passions. Ready to go to Germany, ready to go to camp ministry, right? And uh, ready to go to the prison ministry. Hallelujah. And if Brother Keo needs me, ready to go to Cambodia for the glory of Christ. These have been exciting places to hear about. And it's been exciting to get to meet you and know you and uh, know that uh, I even have a relative here. Mrs. Thomas is here, right? Amen. And uh, what a joy it's been to meet you. And we appreciate very much your generosity and graciousness towards us. It's been, uh, it's been wonderful to get to know you. I've got some handouts to pass out. And uh, if you don't have one, the guys are going to pass those out right now. Uh, so you can follow along with me here this evening. And uh, they, you will be graded on these when you leave. So pastor's going to have either a smiley face or a frowny face he'll put on your paper. So guys, you can't cheat off your wife. All right, you've got to do your own work and turn in your own paper tonight. All right. And while they're passing those out, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Romans in the 15th chapter. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And uh, as I was uh, thinking about this evening, and, and every missions conference is a little bit different, uh, but if the Lord gives me leading, this is the message that uh, I like to speak on because it's, it's a selfish reason I have for speaking this, but I believe it's the, the greatest way that you impact missions is uh, through your prayer lives, through your prayer ministries. And in Romans chapter 15, come down with me to verse number uh, 30. Romans 15, verse 30, we see where the Apostle Paul writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. All right, notice again what he's writing there. He's, he's speaking to believers and he's beseeching, he's begging, he's pleading with them. Uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit. Here's his motivation of why he's asking them to pray. It's for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, which you could say for the glory of Christ, and for the love of the Spirit, for uh, the love of God that was shed abroad in our hearts at salvation, that love that is within us, that love now that allows us to love Christ and to love the Lord uh, as we should. Uh, for that love and for the sake of the Lord Jesus, notice again that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So that word to strive there is a, the thought of agonizing. It's a, it's a struggle. Uh, it, it, it speaks of an intense prayer. So these are not prayers that, uh, that we just repeat from our heads, prayers that we just read, prayers of, of duty. But, but these are intense, struggling, wrestling prayers that he's asking for. And that he's seeking and pleading with them to pray for him. But also of that word, uh, as you look at there, ye strive together with, in the Greek language, it was a word to describe uh, athletic contests and, and more than that, but team competitions. So uh, literally what he's saying to them here is, you are sharing in the contest with me as you pray to God for me. So... Think of it here for a moment as Paul, as he's traveling, as he's going into these different areas and he's uh, proclaiming the gospel, as he's starting churches, he's hoping to come one day to Rome on his way to Spain. But until they see him, they can have a part in his ministry. They can share in the contest with him as they pray to God for him. Now, listen, I, I shared with you last night, I played basketball and on a basketball team, there are five players, right? And I got to play against some pretty decent players. Uh, in, in my, in my uh, basketball career. But I'll tell you this, 
uh, of the greatest players I ever played against, if there was only one of them on the floor and there were just five average mediocre basketball players like Derek Thomas here, five average players will beat one great player, right? Because one doesn't make a team. And my thought is this, that as we send our missionaries out, we may have a superstar missionary, but if he goes to that field and he doesn't have a team sharing in the contest with him, uh, the ministry is not going to be what it could had he had a team participating together for the glory of Christ, sharing in the contest. So as we send out our missionaries into the world, and it's my understanding you have somewhere in the is it 31, 2, 3, 4 missionaries that the church supports, there's a greater commitment that you have to them than your financial support of them. It's a, it's a commitment to pray for them. And I understand that you do have times on Wednesday night for prayer. And I want to encourage you tonight in prayer. And specifically, I want to speak to you this evening about how you can pray for your missionary. Let's ask God's blessing and we will uh, get in our notes here real quick. And we'll look at an outline of how we can pray for our missionaries. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for this church, Lord. Bless this missions conference. We thank you for uh, the services we've had and how you've already met with us and burdened us and showed us the, the field that is widened to the harvest all around the world, Lord. Bless us this evening and show us, Lord, the power and the wonder of prayer and the difference that we can make for the glory of your name through our intercessory prayers. We ask this now in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. As you have your outline there, you'll look in Roman numeral 1 in your outline. We're going to look at how we can pray practically for our missionary. And then Roman numeral 2 is going to be how we can pray biblically for our missionary. So let's begin with Roman numeral 1 there, how I can pray practically for my missionary. And underneath that, number 1, you can write culture. Culture. I can pray practically for my missionary concerning culture. And there's going to be an A and a B underneath that. Uh, that first one there, that, I, that they can understand the culture to which they've been called. And letter B, that they can endure the culture to which they've been called. All right? So culture is an important thing. And as a missionary goes to a foreign mission field, uh, there is another culture that is there. Uh, even as our brother goes into prisons, there's another culture uh, that is there. And it's important to understand the culture of how they think the way they think, of why they think the way they think. I think if we went to Acts chapter 17, when Paul's went, Paul went to uh, Mars Hill there in Athens, Greece, you could tell that he had somewhat studied culture before he came because he's even quoting their poets to them as he's sharing the gospel with them. He's trying to relate to them where they are as he's sharing this message. A little bit different than Peter's message at, at Pentecost when he's speaking to those that already have an understanding of, of the gospel or of the, of the word of God, of the, of the commandments of God, compared to here in Athens, Greece, a bunch of pagans where he's still sharing the gospel, he's still sharing Christ, but he's coming at it from a little bit different angle. So it's important as a missionary, as you go to that field, that, that you gain an understanding of, of why they are thinking and how they are thinking the way they're thinking, that you can, again, better relate the Word of God to them. Every culture is a little bit different. And uh, I tell you, Julie and I were 10 years in Lithuania. We were still learning culture uh, after 10 years. Oh, that's why they do that. I mean, it finally clicks. Now I understand uh, how and why they're doing that. And especially for believers, then you're able to take God's Word and apply it to their culture and see them get victory in their lives. So that's important. But not only uh, understanding the culture, but also enduring the culture. Sometimes I understand it, but man, it's hard uh, sometimes to endure it. 
And uh, I mean, there's I see food as part of culture. And uh, I know that uh, I, I know some of you have tried this before, uh, but most churches I go to never no one's ever tried sala before. But sala is something that they have there in the Ukraine. And, and sala is a dish that they're very proud of. But for me, it's kind of hard to eat. If you ever look at bacon and you see the white stuff on the bacon, sala is just the white stuff. It's the it's the fat, right? It's not cooked. It's raw. They'll grate it in garlic. They may put it in the freezer and freeze it. And then they'll take it out like a like a block of cheese and they'll cut it. And you'll eat that with a piece of dark bread. Uncooked, raw. So not only praying for the grace to eat it, but for my cardiovascular system to survive it. All right. So so every every culture is a little different. And uh, and your missionary needs grace. All right. Uh, I remember a family, Julie and I met, I believe, were they... In Cambodia, where were they? And uh, and it was I believe it was a Hindu area where they were, right? And they would hear the calls late at night, where the Hindus would be chanting out in the streets, and it would awaken them up. A Buddhist was a Buddhist. It would waken them up as they would hear those chants and those prayers in the middle of the night. Very difficult, as you have a family there. So sometimes the culture is you can understand it in some ways, but it's tough to endure it. So pray for our missionaries concerning culture. Number two, you can pray for our missionaries practically concerning language. Language. Again, I, I, I don't care how long the missionary's been there. Uh, he's if, if that's not his native tongue, he's still learning language. He's still learning the idioms. He's he's still learning a, a, a greater way to communicate in that language as he's hopefully becoming more fluid in the language and more understanding. And it's very important, again, that he has a handle on language. Why? Because he's teaching the truths of God's word. And, uh, and, and he needs to have a handle on that so he can communicate it, not only correctly, but in a way that they can understand it. We have a, a missionary friend who served for many years in the country of Japan. And the first uh, service that he ever preached in Japanese was on sin. And that night as he got up a Sunday evening, he had written his entire message out. And uh, he was reading it basically that night. But he was he was going at it, why we needed to turn away from sin and, and, and follow Christ. And how when we get sin out of our lives and we allow Christ to reign in our lives, that this glorifies God. So uh, really, come on, everybody. Let's turn from sin and let's follow Christ. And he gives an invitation at the end. He said there was there was one fella that that came forward. And afterwards, he went to the guy who had been his translator, and he said, "Listen, I felt like maybe I was missing a little something there this evening. Can you can you give me a hint of uh, uh, of what you thought or how I can do it better?" And the uh, the Japanese fellow said, "Well, in Japanese, the word for uh, wife and the word for sin are very close, and you were using the word for wife this evening." So he was telling them that you need to turn away from your wives and you need to follow Christ. That this glorifies God when you turn away from your wives and when you follow Christ. So come on, everybody, let's leave our wives behind and let's follow Christ. Now, it makes you wonder about the one guy that came forward that night, right? He, he was probably thinking, wow, I have found the religion for me, right? This is, uh, this is awesome. I can have God and lose her at the same time. Now, no guy say amen. That's not the sign for you guys to say amen right now, okay? But, but you can see how language is very important. And uh, so pray for your missionaries concerning language. Number three, we can pray practically for our missionaries uh, concerning family. Family. We have two parts in that. Letter A, they're the wife. And the second one there, letter B, the children. All right? The wife and the children. Oftentimes, I believe that missions can be hardest on the wife. 
In our experience was in Lithuania, we saw this. The wife comes to the mission field. The husband comes. Boy, the husband's reared up usually. He's ready to go. He's studying language. He's knocking on doors. He's starting a Bible study. I mean, he's throwing himself into the ministry. And the wife is at home usually, working with the children if they've got children, looking over the children's homeschooling, trying to keep the home at the same level of which they had it while they were in America. And guess what she's not going to be able to do? in the foreign country. She's not going to be able to keep the home at the same level. For example, when we went to Lithuania, uh, you couldn't get peanut butter. Uh, you, you couldn't get baking powder. Uh, you couldn't buy brown sugar. Uh, for crying out loud, you couldn't get chocolate chips, right? I'm thinking, Lord, are you sure? Absolutely, Lord. Do you know this is where you want me to be? Because there are no chocolate chips here. <laughs> uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't buy cake mixes or brownie mixes or, or, or any of these things. So all of a sudden, Julie has to begin to uh, cook more from, from scratch to do certain things, which takes a lot more time. And then you've got the homeschooling and the children. And, and we know of a missionary family where uh, the wife was so busy in the home and with the children, and her husband so busy in ministry, that, that she didn't really have time uh, to, to study language. And so she wasn't learning language. While her husband was learning language, she wasn't learning language. As she didn't learn language, she really became more and more isolated where she could only speak to her husband, to her children, uh, to other American missionaries, but it was it was a little bit of a stress. And I would really encourage uh, some of you ladies especially uh, to contact the, the day in which we're living today through social media, emails and so forth, messenger, different ways. Uh, pray God, lay a, a missionary wife or two on your heart that your church supports and, and write that wife and just say, listen, uh, I'm with West uh, Westgate Baptist Church, Westside Baptist Church, and, and we just want to ask you, I, I want to ask you, is there any way that I can pray for you? Uh, is, is there anything that I can uh, I can lift up before you in prayer? Is there anything there uh, that you can't get that you need? You know what? While we're in Lithuania, uh, you could not get chili uh, powder, chili mix. Uh, how many of you guys like chili? All right. Well, I have three boys. We all like chili. All right. I called it American borscht when we were in Lithuania. And uh, and we love chili. But you couldn't get the couldn't get the seasonings there for chili. Well, you know what? How much would how hard would it be to grab some of those packages, little packages like that? Right. You could put five or six in an envelope and, and send them over to the missionary. And you know what? It'll be a big blessing to them. Fajita mix. You couldn't buy fajita mix in Lithuania. I don't know if you can get that in Germany or not. Germany got a little bit more stuff you can get uh, than in Lithuania. But again, the blessing that will it would be in Ladies, listen, you can have a ministry to these ladies and be a blessing to them. And I encourage you in that. Secondly, there, the children, the children. Now, I'm going to speak about Aaron a little bit uh, because he's going to be one of these a little bit. Uh, but our boys spent a majority of their childhood in Lithuania. So they were all born over here in America. Uh, their passport says they're United States citizens. Uh, but the majority of their childhood, they spent over here in Lithuania. So they're growing up in Lithuania. Uh, they're going to Lithuanian basketball schools. They're interacting with the Lithuanians. But you know what? The Lithuanians never really receive them as Lithuania because Lithuanians because they have a little bit of a stigma because they're Americans. Now, they're here. We can communicate with them, but they're a little bit different. Their dad's an American. They're an American, uh, but they're living here in Lithuania. When we would bring them back to America for a furlough, uh, we brought them back. We put them in a Christian school. We wanted them to, it was a good school. We wanted them to get a, a little bit of the culture in America and understanding being around other American children. But as we came back and we put them here, they, there were things that they didn't understand in the American culture. And uh, it was a little bit different. For example, our, our son, middle son, was asked, take out your spiral notebooks. 
He didn't have any clue what a spiral notebook was because we didn't have spiral notebooks in in Lithuania. And, of course, there was some laughter and things because he didn't know what it was. I'm just saying little things like that, but yet they're American, but they're kind of not American, you know. Uh, They're really kind of a third culture group. And, uh, and they're very special. And I, I would encourage you, don't forget to pray for the missionary kids and pray for them. I'll never forget a, a father who was just up the highway here a little bit uh, when we were on furlough to go to Lithuania who had brought his son back uh, to, to go to Bible college. And he came before the church just weeping, saying, would you please pray for my son? He said he's just struggling here to be here in America and to make that transition. And uh, would you please pray for my son that he can make that transition. So we can pray for them as well. All right. So pray for the families. Number four and number five there you can fill in very quickly on. uh, Number four is health. How you can pray practically. You can pray for them uh, concerning their health. And it depends on the country that you're in. But different health issues that they face. Different medical care that may or may not be there. Uh, so pray for them concerning health. And then number five, we can pray for them practically concerning their finances, their finances. Monies go up and down. Uh, the dollar value goes up and down. A missionary who's on a deputation uh, can really use our prayers. Uh, back in the, the 90s when I went on deputation, I think probably the average missionary's deputation took about two years maybe. Uh, and today, I don't know what that number is today. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing numbers that are ranging. And it depends on what country and so forth, but anywhere from three, four, five years and upward. So it's taking a lot longer today. And I believe God answers prayer. And I believe if we pray and we seek God in this, that God can help the missionary with his deputation and for God's grace in that. So those are some thoughts of how you can pray practically for your missionary. Now, very quickly, how we can pray biblically for a missionary. And we're going to look at some examples here of Paul requesting prayer. Let's go over first to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. And here we see where the Apostle Paul says, Finally, brethren, verse number 1, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Verse 2, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. So Paul here is saying, verse 1, finally, brethren, pray for us. Verse 2, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Number one there, how we can pray biblically for our missionary, we can pray for their safety, for their safety. Listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you take it to that culture, it is confronting that culture. And it's calling that culture to repentance, right? And I'm telling you, I'm just telling you right now, that's not going to make you super popular with the culture. (laughs) By the way, in America, as our culture is turning more and more anti-God to preach the true gospel in Jesus Christ, uh, you're not going to be as popular, right? Because you're confronting culture and you're calling them to a change of mind. You're calling them to an admission that, you know what, my my life is sinful, Uh, the things I've done are sinful, that there's one God and there's one way to God through Jesus Christ, and so I'm I'm turning to him to trust in him. Well, Paul, as as he travels through Acts, was he a very popular guy? Do we find him beaten and placed in prison and whipped and scourged and all the rest that Paul goes through? Why? Because he was confronting culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, you have a lot of churches today in America who are trying to take away repentance from the gospel. They're trying to make it easy, so to speak, for people to believe. There's no easy way. You either repent and believe and you're saved or you're not saved, right? There's a calling that God is making to repentance. And and I I know in the world in which we're living today, it's not getting any easier. Uh, Julie and I have 
have friends that have, have gone to the northern part of Iraq in Kurdistan. And I mean, they, they know, but they know, but they know this is where God wants them to be. And they have gone there. Well, they're, that's an Islamic country. You know what they're surrounded by over in that area. And uh, I tell you what, if they're willing to go and feel God has led them to go there, we should be willing to pray. God, keep them safe. And Paul here is praying that. Uh, pray for me because all men have not the faith. Pray for me. And, uh, and we need to be in prayer. Number two, we can pray for our missionaries biblically for boldness. For boldness. Turn over with me to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians in the sixth chapter. Ephesians chapter six, verse number 18. Paul says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Verse 19. And for me. This is how you can pray for me specifically, Paul is saying, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth, how? Boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul, we think of him, man, what a bold man. We, we, we follow him through again these times. He's willing to, to speak even if it's going to mean he's going to be thrown in prison. And we look at his boldness. But you know what? The boldness wasn't coming from Paul. The boldness was coming from God. And, and what boldness is, it's a, it's a God-given strength. It's a, it's a God-given grace, if you will, to, to speak or to act in a way that's going to glorify God despite what the consequences may be. And, and that's what we all need. We need God's boldness. We need His strength, His grace to speak and to act in a way that's going to glorify Him despite the consequences. Uh, I know that uh, many times we, we, we feared. You remember when Paul writes to Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, right? But of, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So when we fear to speak or when we fear to act in a way that will glorify God, that's our flesh. And that's sinful. God hasn't given us that spirit. And so at that point in time, just pray unto the Lord, Lord, I need your boldness right now. I need your strength right now to act in this way or to speak in this way that you would have me to speak for the glory of your name. So pray for your missionaries. Lord, keep them safe. Protect them from these unreasonable and wicked men that desire to shut their mouths. But Lord, also at that same time, don't let them be afraid. But Lord, give them boldness to speak despite what it may cost them, but God give them the boldness to speak for the glory of your name. Number three, and turn over with me to the book of Colossians. We'll catch a third one here in Colossians chapter 4. We come down in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Here comes Paul again. He's going to slip in his prayer request with all praying also for us that God would open to us a door of utterance. Notice what he says. To speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So Paul is saying here, pray for me that as I speak, that there is a blessing of God. And that as that word is going out, that God is making it manifest. Because he's saying right here, the gospel to them is a mystery. It's not known by them. Their eyes have been blinded by the God of this world, and they cannot see. And so I don't, I don't care where you're at on this in salvation. Unless God is involved in salvation, no one's getting saved. All right? There's no one in this room that decided to come to God on your own. Unless God is drawing us, unless God is convicting us of our sin, we can't be saved. And so Paul is saying here, listen, uh, that as I'm, as I'm speaking, as I'm giving the gospel, pray for me 
that God would make known this mystery, that God would make known uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ through me as I speak. As you go to these countries, and as we especially get away from America, where the gospel's been preached unlike any other country in the world. Now, we still need more gospel preaching, and we still need more laborers, and we still need more great churches in America. And there is still a great harvest right here in America. But I'm just saying, comparing it to other countries in the world, there is more privilege and more gospel here than anywhere else that I've ever been in the world today. And as you go to certain places where Satan has dominated these areas and really had a stranglehold in these areas from the beginning of time, do you think that when the missionary shows up that Satan's just going to say, okay, uh, I give, I surrender? Or do you think Satan is going to fight to hold on to that and to keep that? Well, listen, Satan is only going to be defeated when God's people begin to cry out unto God for power and for grace and for victory, for the glory of Christ in these places. And I'm just saying right now, as you go to parts of of Lithuania where we were, or you go into parts of of Ukraine, or if you go into parts of of Germany, and you go into parts of the the world, Cambodia, and and even into prisons, I mean, there's a blindness to the gospel of Christ. There's a, there's a hardness to the gospel of Christ. And Satan is working with all that he has to keep it that way. But God has given us an instrument. God has given us a tool to see victory in these areas. And it's by the prayers of God's people. Of you coming on the team with your missionary. He, he's going for God's glory. He's taking the gospel there. But he's not a team by himself. He needs the team as you. It's like Exodus chapter 17. Do you remember there? Moses up on the hill. Who were the two fellows that were there with him up on the hill? Aaron and Hur. Who was down in the valley doing the work? Doing the, the Joshua. So Joshua's down below. He's, he's, he's fighting. Uh, he's fighting the Amalekites, right? Up above is Moses. As Moses' hands are lifted up, Aaron and Hur helping. What's happening? They're winning the victory. All right, what happened to Joshua? Was there anything different in what Joshua was doing? He was using the same amount of energy, the same amount of work, right? I mean, he was using the, the weapons and the instruments that he had the best that he could. The difference was what? The prayers being lifted up to God. The hands being lifted up to God. Those hands were recognizing, God, we must have you. God, unless you are working here, we are not going to see victory. So Aaron and her and Moses working together, they had a role, they had a part in this, in this ministry in Exodus 17. And the victory was for the glory of God. Their part in that war, in that, in that ministry taking place, was hands lifted up unto God, crying out to God, looking up to God. The work of Joshua, his call to go down into the valley to do the fighting. We have missionaries going down into the valley to do the fighting. But they can't win on their own. The victory is not there on their own. They need God's people who have not been called to go, but called still to participate and share in the contest as they look up to God. God, you got to bless them. God, you got to be with them. God, you got to make the mystery known to them. God, bless the words that they speak. And as they speak, oh God, make known that mystery. Bring the convicting power of thy spirit to show them their sin. To show them their, their lack of righteousness, that their, their righteous acts before you are as filthy rags. God, God, show them and, 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 and assure them that without you, they're going to spend eternity in hell without you, God. 
Convict them, O God, and open their eyes that they can see the glory of Christ and His work upon the cross that's been accomplished. Folks, I'm telling you, there will be souls reached in these various countries where your missionaries are because you prayed here. I can't explain everything about prayer. But I know this prayer works. And God answers prayer. And we have a responsibility to pray. By the way, it wouldn't be a bad thing to pray on on Saturday nights for the next Sunday's message here in your own churches, right? God, our pastor is going to be preaching tomorrow. Lord, we need to hear from you tomorrow. God, we need you to make known the mystery of the gospel tomorrow. God, we need you with their lost people sitting in our auditorium. They need to fall under conviction of their need of Christ and see that Christ is the only answer. What would happen if God's people began to cry out that way to God in earnestness for the glory of God to be known? That's what we need, isn't it? It's what's missing. So we need this, and we and your missionaries need this. Number four, how I can pray biblically. Just stay right there in Colossians uh, chapter 4. We saw it there in the first part of the verse, verse number 3. With all praying also for us that God would open to us a door of utterance. That is a, a, a number four there for open doors. That is opportunities to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, open these doors. God, bring before them uh, open doors in homes to share the gospel. Bring before them uh, open doors in, in, in schools to present your glory. In universities, Lord, to present your glory. But Lord, you open these doors of utterance. I've seen God open doors of utterance. I know I've tried to open doors before. I, I don't get anywhere. But when God opens the door, something happens. By the way, I can't help but give a personal application tonight. What would happen if, if we, each, each day we woke up in the morning when we prayed unto the Lord, said, Lord, open to me a door of utterance today. God, give me an opportunity. Bring someone across my path today, Lord, that I can give a track to or that I can share Christ with today. But, Lord, you open that door of utterance for me today for your glory. I believe God will answer that prayer. And I believe that we can see a great thing down here for the glory of Christ. Open doors of utterance. And then fifthly, uh, lastly, how I can pray practically, and we won't look it up, but Matthew 9:38 and uh, verse 39 there, that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. We are to pray unto the Lord of the harvest for what? For laborers, for workers. And you can put that in number five, for laborers. And what I mean by that is in the foreign countries to which we're going, we need laborers in those countries. Wherever the Lord allows us to begin uh, our first church in Ukraine, boy, you're, you're going to need you need deacons, you need Sunday school teachers, you need somebody to lead music, uh, you need a pastor to take that work. You need laborers, workers. And uh, I'll never forget speaking to a missionary who was up in northern Canada working with the native Canadians and been up there for uh, 20, 25, I don't remember how many years he'd been up there. And he, and he was just sharing with me the difficulty of having one man that he could train to take that work. And we needed to be praying for him. God, give him laborers. Your missionaries on these foreign fields, they need laborers that they can train for the glory of Christ. Well, let me close with this thought this evening as as uh, hopefully you've got your notes there filled out. But I was reading a book by uh, Rosalind Goforth called Go Forth of China. And in the book, she's sharing about her husband, Jonathan Goforth, and she shares about a story. And it was a story of a man, this probably was late 1800s, maybe early 1900s, but 
he was leaving that church. They were sending him out and he was going off to a mission field and it was some island and it was far off away. And again, you can imagine the day and the time in which that was, the difficulty in communicating uh, with each other. But here's what the church told him. He was taking his wife and two daughters. The church said, listen, you go and we're going to hold the ropes for you in prayer. So he went and he went off to the country and he got there to this place and he began to, to preach and try to win people to Christ and it was, it was very difficult for him to be there. And, and they seemed just so hard to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's wrestling and he's, he's trying to get them to understand and it just seems like everything is going against him while he's there and he's not seen not one person yet saved. With time, uh, as he's there, and I believe they were there, he was there a total of some four, five, six years, something like that. But his, his two daughters get sick, and they both die. Then his wife gets sick, and she dies. And he has seen no one saved. He has seen nothing really happen there for Christ. He's lost his family there on that island, and he's just defeated. And so, un, unpronounced to the church... He, he comes back. And it happened to be on a Wednesday night. And uh, he, he came in. The service had already started when he got there. He slipped in the back and he sat down in the back. And, and no one even really noticed that he was there. And that night they went on with their service. And they did their prayer requests. And they did all the rest of it. And, and they got finished that night. But guess who they never mentioned once in prayer that night? Never mentioned the missionary. Again, didn't even realize that he was there. I don't think they even knew that his daughters had passed away or his wife had passed away or the struggles he had had. That night, he comes before the church after the service was over. And this is, I'm paraphrasing here, but something like what he told them. He said, I wondered while I was away and while I was off, where was God, right? Why were these things happening and where was the hand of God? And God, why are you not working? He said, but tonight I have my answer. It's because you failed to keep your promise to hold the ropes for us in prayer. And, and we have an obligation to our missionaries. And praise God, if they are willing to go and we feel led as a church to take them on for support, hallelujah, but that's also a pledge to take them on for prayer support, right? And to continue lifting them up to hold the ropes for them in prayer. Because they're going down into some dark places, taking the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're not holding the ropes for them, they're going to fall. Again, Paul's call is to share in the contest with me as you pray to God for me. I believe this with all my heart, that if you will take this seriously and if we will truly fervently pray for these missionaries, there will be souls reached in these countries. You will have an impact Though you've maybe never even been to Germany, or though you've maybe never been to a prison, or maybe you've never been to Cambodia, but there will be an impact in souls reached in that country from being on your knees right here in Eugene, Oregon, and crying out to God for them and sharing in that contest for the glory of Christ and for the love of the Spirit of God. May his name be proclaimed in all the world. And may his glory be known for the glory of his name. Father, we thank you for this evening. And Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts, O Lord, and help us as a church. And I I know this church prays for their missionaries, Lord, and I thank you for that. But Lord, we pray that you would give us a, a greater understanding this evening of what it means to personally share in this contest and to pray. Not for even the benefit of the missionary.
but Lord, for the glory of your name, that your name will be known and that we will truly partner with them in prayer, in our prayers to God for them, that your glorious gospel in person be known. We love you and praise you and thank you tonight. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.